This is Join the Dots. Hello, this is day 11 of COP26, 11th of November 2021. Um, it's my final update from the conference venue, so I'm doing it on the Action Hub underneath that big globe um, as I've showed it on day one. Um, one of the highlights of COP for me has just happened. I met Ekrem Imamoglu, the mayor of Istanbul, who was invited here for, by C40 um, cities coalition. I think 97 cities from the world and Istanbul is one. Um, it was great to meet him in person. Um, and also um, his words were um, encouraging. And he said in English... Um, national borders only exist in our minds and for uh, the climate change and environmental change are existential threats for us all and fairer financial solidarity and collaboration at international level is what we need. Of course commonsensical general topics but for a politician to say international national borders only exist in our minds is I think uh, an encouraging thing. We are seeing new um, new generation of politicians around the world and, and I hope we can support them. Um, I then in, attended a, a finance event, um, finance for developing countries, um, especially energy transition in Africa and Middle East. Um, and one of them uh, talked about a platform where anyone can invest in energy uh, projects in Africa from as little as £50. Pounds. Um, so you can become an impact investor. Why not consider that? Um, I'll, I'll add the lead details on the website, of course. So that's about uh, financing green. Um, there's also greening finance. Um, so this distinction um, I've first seen in the UK green finance strategy that came out a couple of years ago financing green versus greening finance uh, and I'm going to cover an item on greening finance in the next bit of the update um, but of course we must also mention that US and China's agreement to reduce um, emissions and take action together that was yesterday um, it's worth definitely worth a mention um, and again I'm sure you've seen that in the news anyway I don't need to cover the details here um, but I'll put a link on the website so on greening finance you heard me speak about Mark Carney ex-governor of Bank of England um, talk about his Glasgow Financial Alliance for Net Zero uh, group that manages about $130 trillion worth of assets, uh, making commitments to net zero. Um, I want to cover something else in today's update, and that is the United uh, Nations Environment Programme Finance Initiative Coordinated um, Alliance called Net Zero Banking Alliance. Um, about 90, let me see, 90, 95 banks around the world um, signed up to, to this commitment and it involves transitioning the operational um, emissions from banks themselves but more importantly uh, transitioning the greenhouse gas emissions attributable to banks' lending and investment portfolios 
to align to net zero by 2050. So banks want to change their portfolios, put pressure on pressure on companies to achieve net zero. Um, I don't know how that would be achieved um, because they're going to do their pathways. They have to do their plans, every bank, within 18 months of joining the alliance. Um, 2050, again, might be, seemed, might be seen to be a long date, but they also have to set targets for 2030 or sooner, if they can, on how they're going to achieve net zero across their portfolio. Now, you can search in the link that I'll provide which banks are in this alliance. Uh, some of the high street banks in the UK are in that list. You can search by region or country. There are 95 banks, 39 countries. They manage 66 trillion US dollars of total assets. And that is a 43% of global banking assets. I think it's a major alliance. Um, if it was just their operational emissions, i.e., the emissions from their offices, <laughs> essentially, or some, you know, transport, etc., um, that wouldn't have, that wouldn't be interesting to talk about. It certainly wouldn't have made it to join the Dots podcast. But it is extremely interesting because it will affect the way the banks are investing and therefore the way the, way the businesses are responding to net zero um, challenge. The person who led this work on, from the secretariat at UNEP-FI um, is Sarah Kemet and I hope uh, one day before long we will have Sarah as a guest, um, perhaps in our sustainable finance or in our demystifying expertise series. I've just had a look at the draft text of the Glasgow Agreement. Um, the link in The Guardian is really good because it gives you the original uh, text as well as an annotated interpretation. Um, the BBC one just writes a piece on it and I couldn't find anything on the BBC that links to the original text. Maybe BBC doesn't think we can read it for ourselves. Um, the negotiation meeting that I went to a few um, couple of days ago, I don't know when it was, the time, I'm in a time warp, um, was discussing whether the agreement could say double the $100 billion uh, promise um, Belize and some other countries were saying wanting to keep double um, and US, EU, some other countries were saying increase. Um, it now says on paragraph 44, significantly enhance support for developing country parties beyond 100 billion US dollars per year. So I guess that's a compromise situation, little bit the northern global north winning perhaps but at least it doesn't say 100 billion and 100 billion alone uh, given that we haven't even yet got the 100 billion um, anyway we'll put the link on our website to the Guardian article so I'm Helen Mountford I'm uh, vice president of climate and economics at the World Resources Institute 
Um, it's been fantastic to be here at COP26, largely because it's been great to see people in person again who I've spent the last two years on Zoom calls with, trying to help prepare for what we needed to do here, get the kind of ambition and the finance and support we needed to deliver here, and then to actually see them together and to be able to try and uh, work the corridors to make it happen here. Um, we, uh, from the World Resources Institute, we do sort of three things that are really linked to COP26. One is we actually work with a bunch of countries to help them identify pathways towards more climate ambition that also deliver jobs, uh, benefits for people in their country, air pollution reductions, health benefits, GDP increases, etc. And then try and help them support, you know, identify the policies and investments to deliver those. So that has helped some of the countries who came here to ramp up their ambition and deliver higher 2030 or net zero targets. So that's one. Second is actually just helping behind the scenes to unpack some of the negotiation issues and understand what they mean, what the options are, and convene groups of negotiators to find ways forward. And then the third is really sort of tracking and data and accountability and keeping track of who's announcing what, what they're promising, how to unpack it and understand it, uh, and, and, and make it comparable with others. So, so we've done, been doing a lot of work leading up here, and there's going to be a lot more going forward. I think uh, two of the main things we're focused on going forward is, one, all these announcements, all these new uh, big initiatives on methane, on halting and reversing forest loss, on countries, what they're doing. How do we actually make sure we hold them to account? Um, and we help support them to deliver those net zero targets or these big ambitions. The banks, uh, finance uh, sector, all of that, we need to make sure we hold them to account and, and deliver that. So we'll help them with tools and approaches and scenarios to do that. The second is really on um, supporting developing countries. At the moment, we're almost in the end stage of the negotiations. There's been a lot more on mitigation, on reducing emissions, a lot less than what we need on the finance to support developing countries, which we, we know we failed to meet the 2020 uh, target of 100 billion per year. A lot less on finance, a lot less on adaptation and resilience. And we're still struggling with whether countries can actually come together and support each other on loss and damage, the kind of climate impacts that are devastating, loss of communities, lives, etc., but which you cannot adapt to. And that's still a bit of a bad word here. And we're hoping we can find a productive way forward. So been good to be here, been frustrating in lots of ways too. Um, definitely uh, quite amazing how bad the queues were. Far too few seeds. You know, the food has not been great. There's gorgeous Scottish food out there, not in the conference center. A lot of iron brew, the Scottish national soda. A lot of that, not much else to drink. So um, that's been frustrating. And um, some of the negotiation discussions where feel there's, there's a real disconnect sometimes between some of those who are sort of highlighting these new initiatives and the momentum and it's going rah, 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 we're great, we're moving forward. And then outside in the streets you get, this is all blah, blah, blah. And sometimes I feel those in the streets and those in the developing countries are saying, okay, you're saying all this, but we're not actually seeing the action. We're not seeing the finance flow. So a real disconnect and hoping as we get to the final days um, of this COP, uh, we can actually bring that together more and people can go forward in solidarity together. But to be seen. May the force be with you, Helen. <laughs> Thank Hi. you. Okay, and I'll with let you go. I'll let you Thanks. go now. Thank you so much for the update. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening and we'd love to hear from you on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook.